So Luke chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to invite you to stand with me this morning as we read from God's Word a, a few passages here. We're looking at the announcements that were made by the angels to Mary and Joseph. So we'll start here in Luke chapter 1 and verse 26. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will rule over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And then Matthew chapter 1, flip back in your Bible just a few pages to Matthew's gospel, beginning of the New Testament. Chapter 1, a similar account of now the angel appearing to Joseph. And starting in verse 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of God. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray over the next few minutes that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, that you would press these truths deep down in us. Lord, I pray that as faith comes by hearing and hearing by your word, Lord, that in all of our hearts today that you would awaken, that you would uh, stir up our faith. 
Our faith, Lord, that clings to you. Our faith, Lord, by which we receive salvation. Our faith that, that we lean and trust upon you for all of the good promises that you have made to us. Lord, I trust and believe that faith without works is dead. And so even as our faith is stirred up and as we leave this place, we'll go out as a changed people. We'll go out, Lord, to live for you. Not just to hear your word, but to obey it, to keep it to shine as lights in this dark and twisted world. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our lives and through our lives. We pray that you would be exalted in our lives, our family, our community, our church, and our world. We need you. Jesus, we need you. God, I pray that you would move in our moment here, and that you would move in our world today. In Christ's name we pray. Everybody said amen. amen. You may be seated this morning. We have our children in here with us today, and I always love it when the kids are with us. It brings a little bit of extra energy, a little bit of extra excitement, and from time to time, a little bit of extra amens in the form of screams, and I'm just happy that they're here with us today. They're part of our church family, amen? Amen. Today is Christmas Eve, which means tomorrow is Christmas Day, and this is the day that we join in with two billion people, two billion people around the world to celebrate the birth of Christ. Starting this evening and into tomorrow, the world will stop, stop to remember the birth of this one child. By far, Christ is the most celebrated person who has ever lived. Of all of the prominent men who have ever lived, and there has been many, no one comes close to touching the prominence and preeminence of Jesus Christ. You can take all of the, the great, notorious, infamous, famous, good and evil men from history, and you can... Put them all together and not a single one, the, the, even the culmination of all of them, do not even begin to be as prominent as Jesus. From Alexander the Great to Julius Caesar, Alfred the Great, King Arthur, Napoleon, George Washington, Winston Churchill, all of these names, we, we might remember something of them, but sooner or later, the great and prominent men of history find themselves in the dustbin of history. And of all these prominent men, Christ towers over all of them. In fact, our calendar, the world's calendar, is literally divided by his birth. His birth splits time. The world changed when he was born. So that we recognize there was a time B.C., before Christ, and then came A.D., Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. But why do so many celebrate Christ? If you look at his resume, by many people's standards, his resume is not that impressive. 
Christ never married. He never fathered children. He didn't have a large family. In fact, he, he never traveled around. He didn't travel the world. He wasn't a great explorer. In fact, he never left more, the region around his home. More than 100 miles did he not travel from his home. He never wrote a book. He never wrote a love song. He never led an army. He didn't start what we would consider in our kind of modern way of thinking. He, he never founded a great company or invent some new gadget. He didn't amass great sums of wealth. In fact, he didn't even have a place to lay his head. He didn't have a home to go home to, a homeless man. So no doubt by our modern standards and in our modern times, many, when they would look at Christ today, they may be puzzled and perplexed. What is it about this peasant, this poor Jewish man that is such a big deal? Maybe that's you here today. Maybe you were dragged here by some friends and family on the way to lunch. If that's you here today, we're glad that you're here. What is all the fuss about, you may be wondering. Maybe, like many, you've never even stopped to consider why so many around the globe celebrate the birth of this one child. I want to share with you three points this morning that help us to explain why this baby's birth was not like anybody else's. The first for us this morning is that he was foretold by the prophets. Number one, his birth was foretold by the prophets. The prophets were messengers sent by God with a word from God. You see, Jesus wasn't born into a black, a black hole. He wasn't born into a vacuum. He came at the perfect point in time. He came at a point that was preordained and pre-fashioned by God and, and pre-told by God through the mouths of the prophets. He didn't just appear out of nowhere. For 4,000 years, God, the creator, had been preparing humanity, had been preparing the way to send his son into the world. And the prophets foretold of the coming of the Son of God. The prophets also spoke of humanity's terrible condition. That humanity is apart from God, alienated from God, separated from God. And that what it is that separates us from God and alienates us from God is our sin. That though God created us, though God is good, though God is Loving, though God is perfect, though God made a beautiful world for all of us to live in, for all of us to enjoy, for all of us to know God and be in relationship with God as his image bearers, humanity has chosen a different path. The prophets told that story. They told the story of, of how through sin, humanity has been plunged into darkness that all we like sheep have gone astray. And that through sin and rebellion against God, our creator, we find ourselves not free as what was promised to us by the serpent in the garden, 
that we would be free if we would rebel against God. We could go our own way. We could find our own path. What we found instead of freedom was bondage. What we found instead of life was death. And generation after generation, humanity has found not greater freedom, but greater bondage. Enslaved to sin. Without anything that we can do to improve our state, to improve our condition. And in fact, the Bible says that in our sinful condition, we are dead. Dead in our trespasses and sins. Every attempt that humanity made to make things better, the prophets tell us and show us it only made things worse. Because our righteousness, our goodness, the best we can do is actually filthy rags before a holy God. And so the prophets tell this message. And we see humanity today, apart from God, lost in sin, is no different than explained by the prophets. Though we've had great advancements in medicine and science and technology and education and, and philosophy, we haven't eradicated poverty. In fact, the reason we have poverty today, the reason we have starvation today, is not because of an inability to produce food, it's because of greed. It's political. We see wars. We see men using their, their intellect, their ingenuity, not to solve our problems, but to create more efficient ways of destroying the image of God. More efficient ways of, of killing one another. We, we live in a nation where it's legal to murder the most vulnerable of people. We live in a nation that has led the way in this bloodlust, this, this murder of the unborn. Since Roe v. Wade, 60 million babies have lost their lives in their mother's womb. We are not getting better, though that's what the utopians want to present this sort of grand vision that if we could just get rid of religion, if we could just get apart from God, we could all just live in peace and harmony, as John Lennon sang about. Imagine, imagine that there's no God above us, above us only sky. Imagine no hell beneath us. Imagine all of these wonderful things. If we could only get rid of religion, we would have peace on earth. Well, we tried that. They tried that in the 20th century. They tried that in Maoist China. They tried that in Stalin's Soviet Union. 100 million deaths. You see, when... When humanity is not answerable to the creator, all we do is take matters into our own hands. We, we do not find ourselves in a better position today than humanity did in the days of the prophets without God. We see wars, we see greed, we see hatred, we see strife, we see even families torn apart by politics. Some of you unable to celebrate Christmas this year 
because of what's happened in our political scene over the last three years. Murder, theft, sexual perversion celebrated in our streets. And the prophets identify this problem and they say, the problem's not out there somewhere. No, the, in fact, the problem is in here. The problem is, is not some sort of uh, ideology out there that needs to be dealt with. No, the problem is in every single human heart. The heart of man, the sinful heart of man is the problem. The prophet Jeremiah says that the heart of man is desperately sick and wicked, the depths of which are even unknowable. Jesus himself, of course, a prophet of God, explained that the sinful heart of man was the source of all of our problems in the world. And so the prophets accurately diagnose our problem That though God is good and though God is the creator and he created a world that is beautiful, a world to be enjoyed, lived under his rule and authority, under his blessing, experiencing the goodness and the life that he brought and he created. No, instead humanity has rebelled against God, has rejected God, has gone its own way and has found itself in bondage to sin, Satan and death. But the prophets don't only diagnose the problem. The prophets began to foretell of one who would come and heal our disease. They begin to tell, foretell of a king who would come, a descendant of King David. And that this coming king, this coming deliverer would set us free from the bondage of Satan and sin and the devil would set us free and set our world free from the problem of sin and death. That he would do this by paying the price for sin. He would do this by taking our sin upon him. He would do this by laying down his own life and enduring the payment, paying the payment and enduring the penalty for the sin of the world. He would lay down his life to redeem Mankind who had gone astray. And they begin to tell the story of though he would be killed unjustly, that he would also rise from the dead. And that through his resurrection, he would defeat even death itself. And all of this was foretold by the prophet in shocking detail. Over 300 different specific prophetic words about who this king, this deliverer, this Messiah would be. How he would live, what he would do, how he would rise from the dead, and what he would accomplish. And over a period of 4,000 years, spanning our first parents to the moment that Christ entered the world, These predictions, these prophetic utterances were made. So this is the first thing that was special about this baby was that the prophets foretold his birth. The second thing that is special about this man, this Christ, this Jesus was that he was proclaimed by the apostles. So he was foretold by the prophets, but then he was proclaimed by the apostles. Who were the apostles? The apostles were eyewitnesses 
of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. They were eyewitnesses. They, they saw everything. They saw him heal the blind. They saw him heal the lame. They saw him feed the multitudes. They saw him walk on water. They, they saw him turn water into wine. They saw him even raise the dead. They heard the message that he preached, the good news of the gospel, of the kingdom of God. And they were sent out by Jesus to carry his gospel, to carry his message. Proclaimed by the apostles, they recorded their eyewitness testimony for us. We have it today in our Bibles. And this message that they preached, I want to highlight just two passages from the sermons that they preached. We're going to look quickly here this morning at Acts chapter 2. The message that was preached by the apostles after Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. In Acts chapter 2, after Jesus ascends into heaven, Peter preaches, after the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the church, Peter preaches this message to a crowd that's gathered. A crowd gathered in Jerusalem. The, the same crowds that had shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, when Jesus entered the city, the same crowds that had shouted, crucify him, crucify him, when they turned on Jesus. And now the same crowds in the same city, some 50 days later, gather at the sound of this rushing mighty wind, at the, the proclamation of the gospel through those speaking in other tongues. And, and Peter stands up to these same crowds and he begins to preach the gospel message. Let's look at an excerpt from it from Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Peter says this, men of, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with many mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. You yourselves know, you saw the miracles you heard his teaching. You, you saw that Jesus was not like everybody else. There was something unique, something special about him. You yourselves know this. You, you saw the way God worked through him, the signs, the works, the wonders, the miracles. Verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the foreknowledge and the definite plan of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And then here he quotes from David speaking prophetically about the resurrection, quoting from Psalm 16, written some thousand years before Christ. Psalmist David writing says, I saw the Lord always before me. He is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad. My tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Then Peter, continuing with his sermon, he says, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence 
that the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? They had killed their Messiah. They had murdered the one who was to come and set them free and deliver them. They, They knew that they had waged war against their very God. What shall we do? And maybe you are here this morning and you find yourself in a similar position where you have gone your own way, you have followed your own path, though God has created you, though God has given you life, though you are dependent upon Him for the very air that you breathe, you lean upon Him for the very thoughts that you think You have used the life that he gave you not to glorify him, not to honor him, not to follow him, not to serve him, but to satisfy the lusts of your own sinful heart. You, like these Jews, that day find yourself in a similar position at odds with God. What can you do? They said, brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, And this is the same message for all of us here today. Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off. For everyone the Lord our God draws to himself. Listen, God made a promise that everyone who would call upon the name of the Lord, everyone who would look to Christ in faith, everyone who would believe the good news about what Christ accomplished through his life, his atoning death on the cross, shedding his blood for our sins, would receive the gift of eternal life, would be reconciled back to God, would have their sins forgiven. How can you have peace with God? It's not by your own good works. It's not by your own righteousness, which is filthy rags. It's not by helping little ladies across the street or putting an offering in the offering plate on your way out or by coming to church on Christmas Eve. There's only one way to have peace with God. And that is by faith in the Son of God. That is by leaning upon the finished work of Christ on the cross. 
And for all who do that, there is a promise of the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the very Spirit of God. That promise is for you. That promise is for your children and for everyone whom our Lord would call to himself. The apostles proclaimed the Christ. The prophets foretold the Christ. The Apostle Paul likewise proclaimed a similar message in Acts chapter 17. We won't take time to go there this morning. But in Acts chapter 17, he says, God calls everyone, Jew and Gentile, to repent of their sins. That word repent, it means to change your mind, to do a 180. Where where before you think you'll find all that you desire in sin and and satisfaction and rebelling against God and breaking his commandments, you, you change your mind. And instead of looking to all of these created things for your satisfaction, to repent means now I look to my creator. I look to Christ. I know that he is the only one who can satisfy the longings of my soul. Because I was created in his his image. Because I was designed to know him and to have fellowship with my creator. Stop looking to the creation to satisfy you. It will never satisfy you. It is only the creator and knowing your creator that will satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. And that goes for us, even the Christians here this morning. So often we can be led astray by thinking, if I had this or if I had that or if I had this relationship or if I had this thing or if I had more of this or more of that, then I would be satisfied, then my soul would be happy, then I would have peace and joy. But the truth of the gospel is that there's only one place to find peace and that is in Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. There's only one way to have joy and joy eternal, even in the hard times, even in the difficult times, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we can still not fear, we can still have joy because our joy is not rooted in the temporary things of this life and this world, which is fleeting and passing away. But our joy is rooted in something eternal, something that existed before this world and something and someone who will exist far beyond this world and that is Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And so for all of us here today, we we shouldn't be so preoccupied with what we might find wrapped up under the tree. That's not what we're celebrating We're celebrating the gift, not that was wrapped in Christmas wrapping, but the gift that was wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. That's what we celebrate today. These these apostles, they paid for this message with their own lives. It cost them their lives to preach this message. And it's cost countless others through the centuries to preach this message. But these apostles, they knew what they saw. 
They were eyewitnesses of, of his glory. They had seen Jesus. They had seen the miracles. They had seen him crucified. And three days later, they had seen his tomb empty and him presented to them alive. And they were forever changed. They were forever changed. Nothing could stop them from preaching that message that Christ is king and that he is establishing his kingdom. All of the apostles from church history, we know that they were martyred for their faith. Many of them crucified. Peter crucified. Andrew crucified. James, the son of Alphaeus, crucified. Bartholomew crucified. James, the son of Zebedee, beheaded by the sword. Philip hung upside down with iron hooks through his ankles until he bled to death. Thomas stabbed with a spear. Matthew stabbed in the back. Thaddeus crucified. Simon the Zealot crucified. James, the brother of Jesus, thrown off the top of the temple and stoned to death. John, the only one who wasn't martyred, died of old age only after being boiled alive in oil. And when somehow he miraculously survived that, he was exiled to a deserted island called Patmos. You would think if this had been some fabricated story that was made up in some closed door, that one of them would have said, you know what, it's not worth it. It's not worth being crucified. It's not worth being beheaded. It's not worth being hung upside down by hooks. It's not worth being stabbed in the back. It's not worth being thrown off the pinnacle of the temple and stoned to death. You would think that one of them, but every single one of them paid for their witness with their lives. The enemies of Christ thought they could silence the apostles by killing them. Little did they know that their spilled blood still cries out to us from the grave today. That Jesus, though he died, yet lives. That Jesus died for the sins of his people and he rose again on the third day. And that he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This was the message that they were crucified for. It was that Christ is king. And they stood before Caesar and they stood before governors and they stood before religious councils and they stood before tyrants and they said, you are not king, but Christ is king. And we will not bow the knee to you. We only bow the knee to Christ. And for 2,000 years, Christ's people have preached and proclaimed that message. And for 2,000 years, Christ's church has been persecuted the globe over. And for 2,000 years, his kingdom has advanced. And it is advancing. So the prophets, what did they do? They, the foretold, thank you. <laughs> Number one, the prophets foretold. Number two, the apostles proclaimed, thank you. And then finally, this is the real reason why we celebrate this baby's birth. Jesus is 
who they said he was. Jesus is who, he said, who they said he was. Jesus did what they said he would do and what they said he did do. Christ did come. He was born of the virgin, as the prophets foretold. He did establish his kingdom, as the prophets foretold. He lived, died, and rose again, as the prophets foretold. He ascended into heaven, as the prophets foretold. And how he is seated there at the right hand of God the Father, as the ruler and reign, the, the one who rules and reigns, as King of kings and Lord of lords, over all peoples, all places, all nations, all spaces. And he is presently, as David said and as Peter quoted, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. He is presently subduing all of his enemies until they are a footstool for his feet. And his kingdom, though it started small, it continues to grow and to spread and to multiply until one day it will fill the whole earth. And on that day, the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And when Christ has completed and when Christ has fulfilled all of the promises, completing the work of redemption, establishing justice on the earth, he will return in glory, not as a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger, but he will return as the rightful king of kings and lord of lords. And the sky will split open and this present reality of heaven and earth will melt away, will give way to the coming of a new heaven and a new earth that Christ will bring with him. And the zeal of the Lord of heaven's armies will accomplish this. And he will not rest until it is finally and fully accomplished. This is the story of reality. This is the grand drama of all of human history. This is where everything is going. And it cannot be stopped. Nothing can thwart the king of kings and Lord of lords. And you and I, all of us in here today, we are called by this king into his royal service. Though we are creatures of the dust, his very own creation, his very spirit giving life to our bodies, even in this very moment, he has bestowed upon us his image. We lean upon him for everything. In him we live and move and have our being. We breathe his borrowed air. And though we rebelled against him in sin, because of his great love, he came and laid down his life to redeem every single last one of us, to save us, to set us free, to give us hope, to give us new life, to give us a future, to make us a new creation. And this is why we celebrate this baby's birth. Because the definitive battle against darkness has been won. The birth of Christ represents the dawning of a new day for humanity. The darkest night of humanity is over. Through his life, death, and resurrection, Christ defeated 
Satan. Satan is a defeated foe. His power broken at the cross. The price has been paid for the redemption and salvation of mankind. But when we look at our world, we see a world where the work of redemption is far from over. And that is why we are called into his service. And his work, it will continue through his body, the church, through you and I. It will continue to grow and increase. And the light of his redemption will shine brighter and brighter until it is like the noonday sun. And that work of redemption continues on and on and on as we go forward in the power of the Spirit proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God. The definitive battle has been won. We go out preaching and proclaiming the emancipation of the captives. There is freedom in Christ, freedom from sin, freedom from Satan, freedom from your past, freedom from death. We go out setting the captives free. There is hope. There is a bright future. All is not lost because Christ is King. Amen. So, we turn to Christ in faith. All of us in here, we don't look to man to save us. We don't look to the government. We don't look to politicians. We don't look to technology and medicine. Look, all that stuff is great, but it's Christ who is our Savior. Christ is the Savior of the world. If there's any hope for this nation, it will only be found in Christ. If there's any hope for your family, it would only be found in Christ. And if there's any hope for you, it's only found in one place, and it is Christ. And the hope that Christ brings does not disappoint us. The hope that Christ brings is not the empty promises of the politicians. The hope that Christ brings is real. The hope that Christ brings changes our lives, changes who we are. And this is why we join in with two billion people around the world today, because our lives have been changed by Christ. So put your faith in Christ today. Look to Christ, trust in him, trust in his finished work. Listen, I know that there are even believers in this place today. You've walked with the Lord for many years, but the devil has been lying to you and condemning you. The Bible says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The only way the devil can get a foothold in your life through condemnation is if you somehow are trusting in your own works to make you right before God. But look past all of that. Blow all of that away. It's only his work, and his work is sufficient to save us. Amen. And his work is sufficient to keep us. Jesus said, no one can snatch my sheep out of, my, out of his hand. And so if you are one of his sheep today, rest assured that no power in heaven or earth or hell below can separate you from the love of God 
in Christ Jesus our Lord. Trust in Christ. Look to Christ. Let us celebrate him this morning. Before we go out today, I would like to just lead us all in a prayer of repentance, of trusting upon Christ. Maybe you've never prayed a prayer like this before. I invite you to pray it and to pray it in faith. I invite you to turn to Christ. Believe in Him. Maybe you've prayed this prayer many times before, but you've found your faith growing weak. Look to Christ. Pray this prayer in faith this morning. I invite you to bow with me as we pray, and I'll lead us, and you can repeat these words after me. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross in my place for my sins. I repent of my sin. I ask you to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Thank you for saving me. I am now your child. Help me to follow Jesus all the days of my life. Fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.